Welcome to a very special episode of Pods for Good and the James Inc. Podcast. In our first crossover episode, Elisa Bell joins Chris and I to talk about the state of teen pregnancy in Oklahoma. What is working to decrease teen pregnancy, what still needs to be done, and how we all can help. Specifically, how we can help James Inc. help those adolescents and teens who have become mothers themselves. Please subscribe to both the James Inc. Podcast and Pod for Good on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are using Apple Podcasts, two little tips for you. For Pod for Good, Apple wants it to be one word. So, P-O-D, the number four, G-O-O-D. And for the James Inc. Podcast, they are very specific that they want the in there. So search for The James Inc. Podcast. Hope you enjoy this serious but fun conversation. Enjoy. So welcome to the guest chair of the Pod for Good podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's always nice having you. Well, it's, it's always it, nice being here. Yes. <laughs> we are, Chris and I are two white straight males with no children. And so we're going to have a lot of questions that might seem obvious to you, but I feel like they are questions people have when they're not in the situation in which James Inc. and its constituents are in. First, let, let, let's define some terms. When you say adolescent, what age range is that? Adolescents for us are going to be 13 to 24 years of age. 13 to 24. All right. You see, I would, I would think adolescent, adole, adolescence ends at, I don't know, 18? Do you, Have you met many 20-year-olds? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just true. No. I mean, just I mean. Re- remember us at 20. Yeah. So we have not matured that much since then. <laughs> Case in point. Yes. <laughs> so among adolescents, who, do, who specifically do you work with? We work with expecting and parenting. So we're going to work with any young person that is in one of the school districts, Tulsa, Owasso, Broken Arrow, all of the uh, surrounding school districts. We're going to work with any young person who may have dropped out of school and has not aged out of our population and then they have been referred to us by one of our partner agencies like Children's First. Children's First is a visiting nursing organization. So they go in and uh, meet with most all first-time pregnant persons. How are they told about that pregnant person? Now, that I'm not sure of, but my because Children's First is through the health department, I'm sure there's some partnerships with the OBGYNs and other clinics within the city, so they get their referrals that way. And then, of course, there's word of mouth because they've been around so long. And other agencies working with young populations can also make referrals to them. In fact, we refer back and forth. So we've talked about in our other podcast, which people should also subscribe to, the James Inc. podcast, we've talked about how teen pregnancy has changed over the past two, three decades. What is the trend now? Is it still sort of trending where it's happening a little bit later than it used to? It's more like 15 to to 24 when you, you were saying like in the 70s, it was more like 12 to 15. Is it is it still sort of moving up as the number seems to be decreasing? 
Actually, the uh, research that we've received is that our numbers are looking better in the younger ages, where we are really experiencing uh, growth with this population. And And I say growth, but I should say we're decreasing in all areas, in all age ranges. However, we're decreasing more slowly in that 18 to 22 year range. Why do you think that is? My guess is I see a lot of young people who dropped out of high school, probably in the 10th grade, and they have been like flying under the radar for a number of years. And now they're experiencing their first pregnancies. And so because they've been under the radar, they aren't getting the information that is being provided in the Tulsa Public Schools. We're doing a really good job of providing resources like Take Control Initiative, the SHARP program, Youth Services of Tulsa. Those uh, young people who are connected receive more information than those who are not. And so I think for that reason, we're exper- our, our decreases are slower. Does it seem that there are, I would say, better resources now to help people not become pregnant as teenagers. Uh, I know there was a time where it was abstinence or nothing. That was the only education that there was in schools. Are you seeing that changing? I think within the last five years, we've become better at it. You're absolutely right. I've been doing this work probably for the last 20 years. I've been engaged with young people at some point, and I've been sitting at the tables with our philanthropic community and our churches And you're right, abstinence was where we were. I have been the lone voice for a while, up until about the last five years, that is saying, okay, abstinence works for some, but what are we going to do for those who don't choose that route? We're starting to think that way now, and we're starting to see other organizations joining with us and becoming a voice with us for this population. Is it that... You're sort of letting the abstinence-only education thing go its course while also trying to get the information out in other venues to those teens, into those schools, where, like, maybe the school can't talk about, you know, uh, birth control or condoms or any of those things, but there are other avenues now to reach that age group. Is that, like, is that something that either James Inc. is doing or other organizations are trying to do? You know, I think that those who are interested in the issue... The right, it's the right people in the right place at the right time. There was a study several years ago, and part of that study, as part of that study, we determined that parents really do want assistance in talking about sex education. They realize that they need that help, whether they are just hesitant to do it themselves or don't know how to approach that situation. They do need that assistance and guidance, and so we're more open as long as we understand the science behind the information that we're being that we're presenting to kids, I think parents are just a little bit more open to say, "Okay, I need help in this area. You're the expert, so I'm okay. I'm hesitant. I want to know what information you're giving to my kids, but I do want my kids to know the information so that they can be safe." You said the numbers are are, are decreasing in all the different age groups, but one is slower than the other. What are the was the research show the reason for that decrease? Because it's obviously not just the absence only education, because that's been tested and shown to not be a super effective way. So mm-hmm. what else? What else is it? I think it's the work of the campaign and the work of 
people like the Kaiser Foundation who've jumped in and have provided resources to help us get medically accurate information to the people that need the information. And also, not and I don't want to just say just the Kaiser, but we've had the Tulsa Campaign to Prevent Pregnancy. We have Take Control Initiative. We have Strong Tomorrows. We have all of these organizations who've come together, who've made a concerted effort to push the message that we need to educate our children for the safety of our children. I think that that's gone a long way in helping us to be successful. It seems like there are a lot of resources going towards preventing pregnancy. There are even a lot of resources for after somebody gives birth, but they seem to generally focus on the child rather than the parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, it seems like James Inc. is is trying to bring that focus on the parent. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, and that's been our driving force from the very beginning. I myself was a teen parent. I had my first baby at 15, my second at 18, went to college at 23, learned about the resources that were available to me and realized nobody was talking about what the resources were. Feeling was if we could just get them out of high school, we've done well. And that's not really true. So through my own personal journey, I just felt like somebody's going to talk about diapers and somebody's going to help you with daycare. But no one is really helping you to navigate adulthood and who you really want to be. And people say, well, you should, you know, in my own family. And I love my mom, but she steered me toward computers. I hated math. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no one, no other voice to say that's not the only thing you can do. And once I got to college and had all of these opportunities and had matured enough to be the voice of who I really wanted to be, I just want to empower other young people to say, you know, it's okay to be a CNN, but that's not a CNA, but that's not who I really am. Mm -hmm. I'm just an artist and that's okay or I'm just a basket weaver, and that's okay. So our whole focus in the curriculum that we have created is about helping them to figure that out, to be able to articulate who they are, and then to figure out how to make that become a reality, how to monetize whatever skill it is. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter to us. Like I said, you can be a basket weaver. The goal is that we focus on you because when you become pregnant, Throughout my experience, and I still think it's true today, people always say it's not about you anymore, it's about the baby. And that's true to a certain extent. But what I really learned is if I don't focus on me, if I don't become the best me that I can be, then there's no way I'm going to be able to lead these children into becoming them be their best selves. So it is about the parent, and that's where we want to focus. How much of... Uh, directing all the focus on the child rather than the mother is about society's general sexism mm. towards women. I think that there's some of that, but I, I personally really feel that it's an easier sale. Mm -hmm. It's easy to put a baby and say, let's help the baby. Yeah. The cute little baby deserves our help. Mm -hmm. And so it's noble and we do need to do those things. But I think that it's just been easy. And even today, as we fundraise, we have to be really careful about the message that we put out there. That is very difficult for people to support something that they 
perceive as being self-imposed. Um, they could have made a different choice. They didn't have to become a teen mother. It's their fault. Pull themselves up by the bootstraps and do better. Um, yes, they do have to do that. But if we don't support them in the ways that they need to be supported in our communities and our um, government and our world, we lose out and we miss an opportunity to uh, improve the, the betterment of our cities. Well, and I think I think you you're right on that. It is a lot more complicated than people want to think about. And and what you're tackling is is really in many ways a generational. I mean, because you are helping the kid, but you're helping them by making their parent stronger and more successful. And mm -hmm. study after study shows that when the parent is more successful, that the kid is more likely to be successful, less likely to go to prison or mm -hmm. drop out of school, more likely to go to college, you know, just the the long-term positive impact on those children is immense, mm -hmm. but it is a lot easier for someone to see, yeah, but I'm giving formula to a baby. That's a lot easier mm -hmm. to sell and it, easier for someone to, to put their head around. It is. It's absolutely an easier sell. And um, we tell our young people the children of teen parents become teen parents. That's the cycle. Mm -hmm. But just like that's the cycle, the children of college graduates become college graduates because that's my own story. You know, I've had three children and two of them are college graduates. And I don't know that they would have reached that status had I not gone first. Mm -hmm. And by me going first, I feel justified in demanding that college be a part of our family experience. Now, I use the word demanding, but it's not for financial gain, from my perspective. It's for the experience. For some of us who don't have wealthy parents, college is our gap year. It is those <laughs> four years to mature and to figure things out. And so for, for my personal family, we're all going to college so you can have that experience. Now, while you're there, I'm not going to say you have to be a doctor or you have to follow the family line. You can do whatever you want to, but you need to have that experience and you need to try different things and meet different people and see different cities. You talked about how it's been difficult to, to fundraise when you're just trying to fundraise for the parents, mm -hmm. the, the teen and adolescent parents. What have you found to be the most effective way of fundraising for that? What has worked versus what hasn't? Well, what has worked for us thus far is that we have a loyal base of persons who who make donations year after year. I think going forward, what we have to do is, you know, the traditional fundraising model is changing. For us this year, it's about face-to-face -face conversations and talking about the programming that we provide. The programming that we provide is about personal and professional development. That is a benefit to the community because we need everyone in the community to be working. Our young people don't have basic skills. They, in many instances, don't have people who've worked in quote-unquote professional jobs, so they don't know what that looks like. Um, they don't know how to walk into a place other than a fast food restaurant, go into a meeting, recognize the culture, 
and then fit into that culture so that they can be successful. So a lot of our programming is around teaching them the unspoken rules of a different community or a different culture, the employment culture. I think a lot about how to help them to still be themselves, but to recognize the unwritten rules that could be detrimental to their career going forward. If you don't see your mom in a professional meeting, if you don't see the unspoken rules of how you engage, and if you don't understand the chess game that's being played, then there's no way you can be successful. And it boils down to giving them a common language so that I always say, for instance, my grandmother would say, a fair exchange is no robbery. In the business world, that's called leverage. (laughs) (laughs) So it's taking those lessons that we all know and that we learned in kindergarten and then turning them into the language or, or showing them that it's still a common language. It's, it's the same meaning. It's just different words. And you have to understand the translation, that the, the thread that's common between all of it in order to be successful. Hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 This is an editor's aside. We want to talk about the demographic breakdown of teen pregnancy in Oklahoma. And we realized that we were not giving exact numbers. So after doing some, some research, we wanted to give you the breakdown of teen pregnancy according to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. Oklahoma had 3,512 births to teens aged 19 and younger in 2018, a decrease of 8% from 2017. One-fourth of the births were to teens aged 17 and younger. 32 of them occurred among 10 to 14-year-olds. Three-fourths were births for older teens aged 18 and 19. Half of the teens had not finished high school, and nearly one birth in every five was to a girl who was already a parent. The percentage of of births by race and ethnicity broke down like this. 67% of the births were white, 15% were black, 16% were American Indian, 1% Asian, and 21% Hispanic. Now back to our regular programming. So you mentioned um, that you have men who come in as well. Do you ever get single fathers, or is it usually only as part of a couple? It's it's normally only part of a couple. Now, I do have one African-American and white uh, family, and that's even an interesting situation because this is a different dynamic for us. But he speaks up for the family. Not seeing that, usually they come in and the female takes the lead role Mm -hmm. and answers all the questions, and in this case... He is the voice for the family. They live with his mother. He provides financially for the family, and she's being taken care of. Um, it, it's just that none of my situations and none of my days are the same. It's just people. Mm-hmm. So there, there is no typical demographic, typical situation or anything. It's all people. Not for us. This year, I have a large group of mothers who are older than 21 that are on their second pregnancies and they're all within 13 months of the first baby. That's difficult, you know, um, and we've learned so much. Um, we have lunch and learns. We invited doulas in this month and we learned that there was a difference between a postpartum doula and a, a regular doula. 
And because we have so many mothers on their second babies, every one of them is in need of a postpartum doula because these young ladies deliver babies and go home by themselves. There's often not a mother or grandmother who's there to help. And just having someone to come in and wash the dishes or make sure mom is eating or is the laundry done, um, well, the services that we provide and the information that we provide is critical. Postpartum depression, huge issue in our population. We don't always talk about it or we've not talked about it until recently. So it's just it's, it's uh, my passion. I love to talk about the different stories, the different things that I see to bring awareness to the issues because I think social justice for this group is that we learn what the real issues are and not um, assume that we know what they need. It's the best situation out of something that wasn't intended to be good. Mm-hmm. Would you say that postpartum depression is the the current problem that you see with young mothers that hadn't really been dealt with before. And that's what you're focusing on now. Like, it seems like you discover a problem that young mothers have that's not being assisted by all the organizations helping with the baby and then just sort of work on that problem, Mm -hmm. get it. So the mother can get help when they need it on that issue and then move on to whatever the next issue is. is that Exactly. I mean, we've learned about the Medicaid issue for our population. People assume that these young ladies are getting rich off of the services when realistically a young mother who delivers before 19 loses her coverage at 19. The baby has medical coverage, but the mom doesn't. And postpartum depression, anxiety, all of those things are really a big part of their their lives. They have ACE trauma scores of a five or more in most cases. Uh, and they are the ones who are really, really in need of, of support. And if we don't support them, we either take care of them in jail or we take care of them in the emergency rooms. So, You mentioned the uh, lunch and learns. Mm-hmm. Um, do you bring volunteers that do those? And is that a way that people can help? Absolutely. We have had, uh, without the volunteer support that we get, we really wouldn't be able to operate. We have volunteers that come in and put on a 16-day seminar in the summer. We have volunteers that do lunch and learns. We work with different partner agencies to do um, uh, science-based curriculums. Uh, We have a 12-week leadership curriculum that we are providing for them. And for the most part, it's all done through our volunteers. When we have programming and we try to make sure that daycare isn't an issue for our kids, so a lot of times they bring their kids to the uh, different programs we have volunteers who are there rocking babies. We're not babysitting, but we're holding babies and trying to ensure that mom can focus on learning the information that we're providing. I know that Oklahoma is working towards trying to get the Medicare expansion on the ballot, I think, again. Mm-hmm. Would that affect that 19-year-old that you mentioned earlier? Would she be able to stay on it if that... Absolutely. And Medicaid expansion will be on the ballot in 2020. So we did obtain the signatures that we needed in order to to have it on the ballot. And yes, those are the persons who are in need of coverage. What are other like misconceptions that people have about social services and the money involved? Because you mentioned how some people think 
you know, a young mother would get rich by having more kids. And we know that's not true. I know there are a couple other ones. Like what other ones do you run into? Well, the biggest misconception is that uh, teen parents are out here taking advantage of all of these free resources and they are living in luxury based on uh, the tax dollars of, of people and that um, they need to pull themselves up and do better. That's the biggest misconception that I see. However, instead of focusing on the misconception, let's talk about where the priorities are for action. Our number one issue is there are large numbers of disconnected youth running around in our cities. They're not in school. They're not connected to family or persons or positive influences. And so they are the ones who are who have the greatest potential to be involved in risk take in risky behaviors. And then we also have the siblings of the, our teen parents who are also at a high risk of becoming teen parents themselves. And then uh, we have a large number of young people who are in the foster care system. And the assumption is that they're getting all of the resources, but the reality is uh, an aged out foster person has a high risk of becoming a teen parent or becoming a young parent, but they're given something like 250 bucks and said, go forth and and prosper. There's a priority for us to reach out to those persons and to engage them in positive information gathering and discussions so that we, we can prevent the situation from ever occurring. Once a woman has a baby, is she no longer considered a, a like child or adolescent by the state? Meaning that like, you know, right now, right, someone can stay on their parents' health insurance till they're 26, but that doesn't count if they, ha- if they themselves have a child. That doesn't, it has nothing to do with the child. It doesn't count here in Oklahoma because we didn't sign on for the mm-hmm. Affordable All Care right. Act. Yeah. So, so that was why we don't provide coverage through 26. The assumption is that she is emancipated, and in some situations, she is. However, true emancipation requires that you go before a judge, and it requires that there's a fee involved in it. So by virtue of just having a baby, technically, you're not emancipated. For instance, if that mom were to take the baby to the hospital, then because she's underage, she couldn't be held accountable for the medical costs, so a parent would need to sign off on that. That's my understanding of it. In the school system, just because she has a baby, uh, if she's under 18, her parents still are the keepers of her records until she turns 18, per FERPA. That's my understanding. And then... It depends on also if she's being claimed on someone's taxes, she or he. That has an impact on their financial aid package. Um, We've had students who worked, who were 18, who worked part-time jobs, but their parents claimed them on their taxes. And so, therefore, they um, got less financial aid because parents... Finances became a part of the equation. The other thing with that is we've had a parent who worked part-time. Parents claimed her on the taxes. So when she went to find for insurance purposes, for sooner care purposes, 
because she had been claimed by her parents, then she was not able to be emancipated under the guidelines for a Pell Grant. Had she claimed herself, then she would have been able to keep her sooner care. I mean, it's just, it's it's a whole convoluted mess. And there are so many exceptions to the rule that my answer to your original question is in some cases she is and in some cases she may not be. We have to really walk through the whole situation and then we have to talk to an attorney about it sometimes. So do you see situations where a teen mother maybe has been maybe kicked out, but their parents still try to claim them and, and so forth to get monetary benefit, even though the they don't actually take care of the their child anymore? I suspect that to be the case, mm-hmm. but I suspect that to be the case in more situations than just teen pregnancy. There are a lot of kids out here who are couch surfing. Mm-hmm. So um, that could be the situation. It just depends. And and sometimes it may be an agreement between the girl and the parent, you know. It, we have to take it case by case. Can you tell me what the amount per per child someone gets if they're on welfare or food stamps in the state of Oklahoma? Just so people know how little it is. We, we've spoken about this before. I don't know what the TANF guidelines are, but I can tell you if a mother with a child makes more than like $672 a month, then she's not eligible for a sooner care. That's not a lot. No. So if you have a minimum wage job, you could, it could potentially jeopardize your sooner care. Oh. And then even with that, I have some students who are 19 and they don't qualify for sooner care and we try to move them over to insure Oklahoma. Then you have to explain a deductible. <laughs> a copay, mm-hmm. and a premium to someone that's not had to deal with those situations before because, you know, they've lived on sooner care. And even though that may be only $20 a month, if you make six ninety two, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money to have to pay for a co- for a premium. Yeah, it's, it's always sort of, been a question I wanted to ask more legislators about why things aren't on a scale mm-hmm. instead of just like hard cutoffs for for those sorts of things. Like, is the difference between six seventy five and six ninety really that much? If you want to cut off of that amount, fine, but like, do it on a sliding scale down so mm-hmm. that people aren't just having to make that weird, mm-hmm. you know, constant choice between you know their futures. Which I guess is an argument people would also make about taxes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't. A long time ago, a lady who was at the um, CSE used to do a presentation at the United Way. Her name escapes me right now. I can see her face. But she used to say that as little as one hour of employment could erase in the, in excess of $12,000 of needed services that you could potentially qualify for. It was something like 10 to $12 for one hour of work. And most of the time, those people don't know that that hour of work is going to cost is going to cost them that. Right. It, and those are the things that we try to talk to about, James. We want you to go to work. We 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 really want you to go to work. 
But if you go to work, then we want you to understand what the parameters are so that you can prepare for the changes. You're going to go to work, and that's fine, but you're going to lose your sooner care. And this is what you could potentially have to pay on Insure Oklahoma. And then we have some young ladies who go to jobs and they get real jobs with with real insurance. And we're like, that's good, but compare your costs with Insure Oklahoma versus what your employer is providing, you know, and then make the decision on what's best for your family. And those are the kind of unspoken things that no one tells you that you have the right to compare. Or I have a young lady who just started working at, uh, can I say a company name? Yeah. Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) And as part of her package, they give them like 20 shares of uh, stock. And she's like, Miss Bell, I have 20 shares of stock. You need to have a lunch and learn and have someone come in here and teach <laughs> us what I do with it. You know, you know, or, you know, uh, we had a finance lady who was there this month and it, we had a lot of discussion around just employment packages and insurance. And a lot of the young ladies said, you know, companies say, here, read this about your benefits or here's your benefits. But nobody explains those things to you. So those are the type of services that we try to provide so that they can make good decisions. So it sounds like you focus a lot on people who are trying to be be employed. Mm -hmm. Do you also support people who are either going to college or trying to go to college? Absolutely. This year, I'm proud to say we have five young ladies that we have gotten back into Tulsa Community College or have started Tulsa Community College. We have one student at Langston We have one student at ORU who's doing online classes, and we have a young man who's going to Grace, which is another nonprofit, and he's working on an actual high school diploma. So, yes, we do do those things. And a big part of what we've done this year is of those five ladies, probably four of them came to us, and they had at one point been in TCC, did not know how to unenroll properly and so they left with these balances and so now you have a balance that's six months to a year that's gone to collections Mm -hmm. and now you want to go back to school so we have to teach them how to write appeals letters we have to talk about the fact that if it goes to collections that the interest can be as much as like 21 percent then we have to talk about the fact that if it's still at the school how do you get the school to write some of that off? How do you set up a payment payment plan? Uh, it's, it's just a myriad of things that come up that most people wouldn't think that they're having to deal with. So how can people help with James Inc.? Um, there's always an opportunity to volunteer. You can pro- come in and do a lunch and learn, provide a service, give information. There's always an opportunity to Uh, work within our administrative offices and help out in that way. But the biggest way for you to help is to donate monies because all of these programs require some amount of money for us to present. Um, And they can donate where? They can donate at www.jamesinc.org. They can send us a check to James Inc. at P.O. Box 193. Owasso, Oklahoma, 74055. They can also send it to our offices at 5200 South Yale, Suite 103. 
I think we got that covered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can also send a MoneyGram. <laughs> Venmo. Via Venmo. Yeah. Cash App. <laughs> Every episode, we have our guest. And this might be a little easier for you because you've been in our the the nerd cave that is my recording studio here multiple times. But we have our guests pick out something that that, uh, that calls to them, that appeals to them, appeals to their their inner inner search for for nerdum and knowledge. It can either be something you have no idea what it is, and you That's want true. to make if, Jesse it, explain. Yes, yeah, so if you're just curious about it, or it can be something that you love. Well. I just would like to know what would cause him to have a James Brown bobblehead. Um, so it actually, it used to, you'd hit a button and he would dance and sing. Uh-huh. And that's the second time someone's asked about the James yes, Brown. Yes. Uh, it was a gift from my mom who just thought it was funny. <laughs> and uh, it has traveled with me up to Boston and back. And it just, uh, he just sings, I feel good when, when it was working and his mouth would move really, you know, in a sort of creepy way and he would shake his hips and it, she thought it was funny because I, I used to dance a lot as a, as a baby apparently. And um, she just thought it was funny and I just haven't gotten rid of it because I love it so. It's the James Brown version of that fish thing. Yes. That used to be on the wall. Yes. Kind of, yeah. yes. Except not annoying. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's Kung Fu Panda stuff. Yeah, all the characters, some up there, some, some over there, some by the TV, one on the TV. <laughs> I like Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, this is, you know, it's a, a pretty attractive nerd cave. I'm pretty happy with it. I, I always have a good time when I come here to visit. <laughs> yeah. I have many toys. It is. It is. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll make sure to put in, in the episode notes all the places, all the P.O. boxes, all the addresses that they can send money to. <laughs> And if you ever they want to drive by and just drop a bag of cash. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Like with the, with the dollar sign on it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. No, it's mm-hmm. got to have the dollar sign. Yeah. Full of gold coins, doubloons. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and if you ever want to do a lunch and learn on podcasting, I'm also happy to do that. And, and if they do want to, to help out with a lunch and learn, how, how should they contact you about that? They can contact us at info at James Inc. Just send us an email tell us about their expertise. We love, love opportunities to invite lunch. Well, let me say this. The Lunch and Learn includes two things that the person must do. They talk about their subject matter, and then they talk about the path to enter into that employment opportunity. We love unique opportunities that people aren't thinking about, um, a great example of that is this summer we brought in stagers. Oh yeah, yeah. And a lot of stagers don't have to go to college. A lot mm-hmm. of our a lot of our people have the ability to go to college, but they're just not ready to go. Right. And so we bring in um, job opportunities that don't require college that you can learn to do that are entrepreneurial in nature, uh, and that just require you being aware of the the skills that you already have and then us helping you to better those skills so that you can become successful. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. If you want to support James Inc. by either either by volunteering or or being able to donate money, 
you can go to their website, which is in our show notes. And of course, please support Pod for Good by becoming a Patreon on our Patreon page, which is also in the episode notes. Get done, Telsa. We cover a lot of topics, uh, such as A and B and C. We, we cover a lot of top, topics. We're, we're, we're really good at this. <laughs>